0: How can we, as moms and moms-to-be who are more overwhelmed and worried than ever about our kids, find natural, safe, effective, and real-life ways to nurture and cultivate amazing human beings? That is the question, and here are the answers. This is the Parent Coffee Talk, and I'm Dr. Roseanne. I'm Dr. Cleopatra. Let's get started. Welcome back. This is Dr. Cleopatra. I am with the beautiful Dr. Roseanne, and we have a very special guest today, our dear friend, Dr. Joan Rosenberg. She is going to be such a treat for all of you, mamas, in the future, mamas, and experienced mamas. Dr. Joan has written a book called 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, and her zone of genius is helping people to cope with difficult emotions and have difficult conversations. Dr. Roseanne, will you tell our mamas all about Dr. Joan, please? Well,
1: this is such a pleasure to read the bio of Joan Rosenberg because she's just a good human being and Mm -hmm. always has such nuggets when we listen to her. And it's like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot of light bulb moments go on when Joan is around. So hopefully people will feel that when they are listening or watching us. So Joan Rosenberg, he, she's a creator of emotional mastery. She's t- trademark, and emotional mastery training. And she's a highly regarded and expert psychologist, clinician, a trainer, consultant. She's a college professor. She does a lot of pretty awesome things to support the field. She's a cutting edge psychologist who's known as an innovative thinker and trainer as well as speaker. She did a lot of speaking. And she shared her life-changing ideas and models for emotional mastery, change Mm -hmm. and personal growth in professional and a lot of different uh, educational seminars. She's had two TEDx talks, Santa Barbara and uh, TEDx Rosenberg. Uh, and the first is about emotional mastery, the gifted wisdom of unpleasant feelings, which nobody wants to talk about. Love to talk about <laughs> that. And grief, the pathway to forgiveness. So welcome to the parent coffee talk. And I would love, you know, in this world of people trying to helicopter their kids, now lawnmower their kids, tech them up so that they don't experience uncomfortable emotions and take a pill for it you know let's talk about uncomfortable emotions mm-hmm. and how they can actually really help you in a lot of ways and all the different components of that this is an exciting talk because i talk about one of my favorite parenting books from a long time ago is blessing of the skin knee oh yeah how sure. you skin your knee you learn some things it kind of happens you not into that extreme But talk to us about
2: emotional mastery. You know, I just, thank you. First of all, thank you for both of you for your very kind and warm welcome. It's a treat for me to be with both of you. I think unpleasant feelings are liberating. Let me walk it backwards because it it Mm -hmm. actually starts with me being a shy, sensitive child. Word wallflower would fit for me. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, you know, and I'm right next to a wall right here. But so I wasn't just a wallflower. I was Velcroed to that wall. (laughs) That's how shy I was. And so I'd look over at my peers and I felt different. I started school at a young age, the whole thing. And I'd look over my peers and it was like, I don't feel like I fit in. I don't have what they have. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I belong and how do I develop confidence? Mm Because I realized I couldn't just go walk up next to them, sit And, you know, be right up next to them and say, you know, can I get what you have? Right. (laughs) So so I I couldn't do that. And and so the first question really that I kind of wrestled with is uh, from a childhood on was, how does one develop confidence? Because I surely did not have that. And then when I got into my professional life as a psychologist, a second question emerged for me. Next question was, what made it so difficult for the people I was working with to deal with unpleasant feelings? So what's so interesting to me and why I said liberating is because what I began to understand as the years went by is that the answer to the second question about unpleasant feelings actually answers the first question Mm -hmm. about confidence. So the truth is the foundation of having confidence and resilience and living authentically in the world is to be able to experience and express unpleasant feelings. So that's why I think it's so liberating, because it's the, it's the foundational piece to it. It's not the only thing, but it's the foundation to it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is so spot on, Joan. Yeah, yeah. the mind bottom. It's Wait, it's, it's, it's so-, so true, though. It, it is so true. And, you know, what's so interesting, kids are learning how to feel their emotions, and some adults are still learning. (laughs) And um, I do a lot of family intake still. And so I listen for emotional language. Like, I listen, who's using it, you know, because it's so helpful to be able to understand you have this emotion, this is what it is, because without identifying it, kids can gravitate and get stuck towards one, anger, (sighs) anger. You know, um, worry, whatever it is. As kids are moving through these, what is your advice for parents about helping them grow? What happens when they get stuck a little bit? Which, which can happen—a little stuck and a big few different things. I'd love to talk a little bit about that because I think that can be so useful for parents who still feel, feel. I'm all about empowering parents, and parents are often need to feel shamed and ill-equipped. And it's right. just about learning first and trying to apply and if you can't do it then you get some help right and and it can be so magical for children really Kat.
2: Right. trying to there's so many kind of thoughts flooding in so the first thing is I would love it if parents had access to their own pain from their own childhood not that they feel it and get flooded by it but only that they are able to remember what that pain felt like so that they have access to the pain, but again, they're it's not it's not flooding their life in the in the present moment. And why why do I want that? Because if they have access to that pain, it's going to help them be a more empathic parent to the child. That's the first thing. The second thing has to do with a parent's ability to regulate his or her own reactions. So that what I like to say, and you know, I, I teach graduate students how to do therapy. And what I say to them is that you can only take a client you're working with so far, as far as you can go. So you are the measure of the emotional range of what's happening in that room. I would say the same thing about parents that that underst- a parent needs to understand that how they're showing up with their children, the children will grow or can grow for good or bad to the emotional range of whatever they're seeing in the household. If a parent is withdrawn and shuts down when there's conflict and goes to one end of the shutdown spectrum, then a child can learn it's okay to withdraw and shut down and not engage. Or the other side, some and a parent that, that is explosive or gets rageful, then the child goes, oh, okay, that's a way to solve problems. I can do that too. So the child will develop to that kind of an emotional range or can. They don't, they don't necessarily have to choose to, but, but they've seen it. So that's that emotional range is now available to them. What do I want then? I, I, obviously, the best circumstances is to have a, a parent or both parents or whoever, whoever the caregivers are that are in the home, be able to have an emotional range that is well-regulated and not to either extreme. Or rarely to either extreme, and what they're able to do is to be in a range that is that captures both pleasant and unpleasant feelings, but not to the extreme of the shutdown or the rage.
1: Right? And you know, there's so many things that you're saying that I love because you're you're saying you can have emotions. We're not, right, you know, and absolutely get rid of the extremes. And, and the other thing that you know, a lot of parents feel like. They feel trapped because their own parents taught them these ways. And they may not recognize that until they see those same kind of patterns happening in their own kids. And as much as, you know, us poor mothers and dads, we get blamed for a lot. But we really are our teachers. We're the teachers of our children. And it's emotional, too. We overemphasize some of these other things like sports and academics and in this time of quarantine we're starting to understand that some kids really struggle with a regulation of their behaviors, their social functioning, their emotions. But parents can do this stuff for themselves and there's such a great benefit, right? Those bonus benefits that go all around. And so the next part of that is to recognize and help kids, right? But get into a less extreme
2: well, where do they start? That is one of the most important things that parents can teach children. And I know you know the term and you both know the term is the whole notion of frustration tolerance. Mm-hmm. That that's what we kind of started with this notion of blessing the skin knee is it's helping a child be able to negotiate, handle, experience and express feelings about things that do not turn out well or the way they want it in life. So they get sad about it. They got, they got sad because they didn't get picked for a team. They got embarrassed because the recital didn't go as well as they wanted. They were angry because they missed the, the catch on the touchdown, the winning touchdown. Or on the balance beam, they slipped and fell, right? And, they, and then they were bounced off the competition. So the most important thing that an adult can do or the caregiver or parent can do is to help a child experience and move through the unpleasant feelings that are associated with things not working out the way they want or they feel like they need. And when they've got that ability, which we in psychology call frustration tolerance, and they can handle those disappointments or in quotes, failures in life, then now that's why I'm saying it's liberating. Now they can go pursue whatever they want and know that they can handle the emotional outcome if it doesn't turn out well. This is
0: so important, Dr. Joan. Can you talk about how parents can best help their children do that. And I think there are so many things that get wrapped up in this, that it's not always easy to handle your own frustration or disappointment as a parent. It's not always easy to handle the fullness of feeling or or the ups and downs of feeling that children have. What is the best way for a parent to be able to walk their children through handle expressing and handling these moments of frustration or failure or disappointment. I think that this is a really, really important skill to be able to, to practice. So I'd love to hear an example of how to walk through.
2: it. Thank you. You referenced the book earlier. So in the book, I talk about what I call a formula for being able to do that. So the, the formula is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. Mm. So what's the one choice? The one choice is I'm going to be uh, as aware of and in touch with as much of my moment to moment experience as possible. So first, I want the parent to do that. And then ultimately, the goal is to have the parent teach the child to do that, mm-hmm. that we want to we want to stay aware of those feelings because they they actually help guide and protect us. Mm-hmm. And, and the unpleasant feelings uh, exist to actually they, for protective purposes in our life. That's why they're there, Mm -hmm. right? So they're not bad and they're not negative. They're just unpleasant or uncomfortable. So the first thing is, is be aware and not avoid. So don't go drinking, don't, you know, zone out on TV or screens or video games or there's so many ways we can distract. So both for parents and for kids. So I don't know that I need to enumerate those, but so awareness, not avoidance. (laughs) Second thing are the eight feelings. So one choice, awareness, eight feelings. I talk about sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, the experience of vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. First question I'll usually get is, okay, why those eight? Mm -hmm. It's those eight because they're the most common, everyday, spontaneous reactions to things not turning out the way we want. So it's the everydayness of these feelings. Just like I might stub my toe, I am gonna. I might have a feeling like this that comes up during the day or during the week. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the everyday quality of it. And then the 90 seconds piece is that the, the idea here is that when, and again, I was trying to answer the question, what makes it so difficult for unpleasant feelings for people to experience those? So, the answer really lies in the, in the 90 seconds idea. And the 90 seconds idea is that, that when a feeling gets triggered, there's this rush of biochemicals into our bloodstream that activate bodily sensations. And those same biochemicals flush out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. But here's the key. The way we come to know what we feel emotionally is through bodily sensation. So think heat mm-hmm. up into the neck and into the face for embarrassment, or -hmm. think maybe a downward sensation for sadness in the chest. Mm -hmm. That's how we know what we're feeling. So the key then to handle unpleasant feelings is to do what I call ride bodily, short-lived bodily sensation waves. Mm -hmm. And that what I became aware of is that what people wanted to avoid was the bodily sensation Mm -hmm. that helped them know what they were feeling. It's not that they didn't want to feel the whole range of what they felt. In fact, I think people do. We want to feel, Because when we feel that whole range, we feel alive. That's vitality. Yes, it is. Amen. Right? Yeah, right. Oh, for sure. That's part of our charisma. Why are we attracted to people? Because they can express that emotionality. That's aliveness and charisma. So I want people to have that whole range, again, not in the extremes, but the whole range and that what it comes down to is understanding that what The key is to ride short-lived bodily sensation waves in order to do that.
0: I love this. There's so much richness here, Dr. Joan. One of the things that comes up for me as I'm listening is two things. How do you experience the fullness of human emotion without entering the extremes? And maybe it's because you allow yourself to experience the fullness that you don't go to extremes. The other thing is that I, we're so over medicated in Western society today, especially in the United States, where all of us live, the three of us live. One of the issues is that we are restricting the range of human experience when we are medicating because yes, there is clinical depression, but sadness is a normal human emotion. Yes, there's there are clinical levels of anxiety, but Fearfulness and and worry are part of the normal human experience, and so so I would love to hear
2: you speak to both of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. The thing you want your child to do then and then is to also ride those same waves. You want to teach them just—it's a body, it's a wave. Just ride the wave, take a deep breath. So take a deep Mm breath, pause, ride the wave, and then see if you can identify what the reaction is linked to. So,
1: I love to teach children. You know, if somebody's feeling frustrated or whatnot, I actually like them to connect to the body and say, you know, where are you feeling it? And so that it doesn't become something they hate. And it's like, okay. And then I'm sure, you know, I know you're going to talk about this. And then usually I ask them, what are things that help you in this moment? Right? So you feel it, experience it, you label it, you understand it. And then you try to move forward because getting stuck isn't good either. But sometimes we have extended periods of grief or or embarrassment or whatnot temporarily. And that's okay. But it's so important to pay attention to those body movements. I love, you know, sensations. And that's where people with trauma, right? What do they do? They want to avoid every component of that body sensation. They want to get out of their body. And that's where we think of trauma for parents that are listening. We think of trauma as these massive things, but many little things can be traumatic. A kid teasing you, terrible embarrassment or an injury or, you know, cer- certain things can really get stuck. And kids understanding the range of emotions and that they are useful and can get through them is such an empowering, empowering thing right, for right. a parent and a child. So I'm grateful that you're bringing that up.
2: Right. So, And Cleopatra, I'm going to come back to your question in a moment, if if you don't mind. Coming back to the Roseanne for a second on what, what you were just talking about, that so what I would have both a parent do and then a parent teach a child to do is first to breathe. You want to take deep, slow breaths and you want to breathe into the experience itself so you don't shut it down. And we're, us human beings are very sneaky about shutting that stuff down. So not only do we have the big ways to avoid, We can be sneaky by swallowing and shutting something down. We can be sneaky by holding our breath and not being and shutting down the experience. And we can be sneaky by tightening our muscles and Mm -hmm. shutting it down. I don't want any of those three subtle things to happen. I want someone to breathe into it, breathe slowly so you can let the wave kind of move through you. And then once you're kind of breathing and settled into it, then go, all right. Um, One, kind of where 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 am I feeling that? So that you start to notice where in your body certain feelings seem to reside so you're better at identifying them. Then what I want you to do is to see if you can identify what it's linked to, you know, what seemed to trigger this, and then to do some of what you were suggesting, Roseanne, or you can also, if someone's older, they can go, is there any pattern to this? Do I keep on reacting to the same doggone thing over and over? And then the next thing is, what what can I learn from it? And there's other questions one can ask as well. But then you start to gain insights, and and maybe you learn that, oh wait a minute, I need to make a decision to handle such and such differently, or uh huh, I need to express this. I can't just sit on it. I need to express it. Or maybe there's an action I need to take. So that there's at least three major things that can come out of your awareness and the insights you gather from actually kind of moving your way through the feeling. So-
1: Such useful information for parents to, you know, not only understand, but take action on, support their kids. Because I know you're really aware you do a lot of work with mindset as well, Joan. Now they're trying to dive into what are the best characteristics of managers and super successful people. And it all boils down to frustration tolerance, your emotions and how you regulate your emotions, these are the most successful people. So pretty unbelievable, but it's not for us. So thank you for breaking it down because it's always good to know where to start. And, And these are little things that can have big
2: waves. The other thing that a parent can do in addition to teaching them how to stay present to the feeling is that they actually get children to narrate. When a child is upset, You want to pay attention to it. You want to help give the child a feeling word for it. So if they keep on pounding their fists or stomping their feet, then start to put language to that. You know, is the person angry? Is the child angry or disappointed or frustrated? Or start to give them language so that they develop an emotional language for it as opposed to going through the actions. Now they can actually use the word. The other thing that that when they go through an experience, so let's say they were embarrassed about slipping off the balance beam right that they tell it they express it they don't just withdraw and then walk away and crawl into the bed and get under the covers and then that's it no you go and you talk to the child and go you know what that was really hard mm-hmm. you know but you made an effort and part of the part of the challenge here is that sometimes stuff doesn't work out talk to me about what you're what you're going through so what the parent can do is, is to help the child narrate the life experience and when they, when they, then they're giving expression to it. So that's a healthier response.
1: And that narration, if they can't do for themselves, Joan, you know, they then begin to connect. Oh, I, my body felt like this. Right. When I was frustrated or yes. embarrassed yes. or whatever. And that, that's, you know, we're always, I look at, I always think of parenting as teaching. That's it. It's not yeah. punishment. And these are all little moments. That all add up. And it's so important. I can't, like, I think the emotional language piece is one of the most undervalued concepts and tools that parents, they just don't know it. We're not giving them that message. It's really a definer in life. You know, you need stress tolerance. It starts with that early management. If you're never too old, Joan. You no. can learn this at 57.
2: Yeah, and I, I <laughs> talk about kids. That uh, when I get asked who I work with, I I always say my answer is kids over twenty. <laughs> so, awesome! So, um, I love um, it. You, you work with kids under twenty. I tend to work with kids over twenty. So, so, um, <laughs> Anyway, the, but Cleopatra, <laughs> I want to come back to your questions in terms of you talked about the extreme. If you'll come back, if, if you, I don't know if you recall your question. Exactly. I absolutely
0: remember the question, which is, how do you experience the fullness of your emotion without experiencing the extremes? And one of the reason I asked this question, reasons I asked this question, is because it's not only for us, but but for what we are handing down to our children, because. We can teach them all day long, but the most important way we teach them is through our own our own reactions and our own behavior and what we model for them. And right. so that's why I'm asking this question.
2: No, it's great. And it's a great question. So to your initial point, when we shut down and we don't express, mm-hmm. so we're not very good about using our language or we get too embarrassed about saying the things or we don't understand we don't like to feel vulnerable and, and say, the, say the words, and we just shut down, we shut down when we shut down, and we never ask for help. Then what ends up happening is that when something, when you finally have a reaction to something, and it could be something small that then becomes the flashpoint, and now I'm in this big fire hydrant explosion, and I'm in this big fire hydrant explosion because all that pressure built up, and I wasn't expressing along the way. So, one of the key things that someone can do to prevent that is to, again, if they have to learn how to be, just be in the experience of it first, then the next step is the expression of it. Our health and well-being comes from both of those, not just one of those. So that And when I'm busy expressing then what I'm going through on a more frequent basis, now it's like a water faucet pressure where I can kind of control the flow. It doesn't get to the extreme the one of the most important pieces of making it so it doesn't get to the extreme is for one to learn how to express one's experience or one's feelings, thoughts. Actually what I would say is learn how to express one's thoughts, feelings, and needs.
0: I love that. That's so, so important. Thank you, Dr. John.
2: You're so welcome. Thank you.
0: And what would you say to Paul about the, social norm that we now face of over medicating so that we're not experiencing yep. the full range of emotions and that we, we're now doing this to children too yep. and I think part of why we do this is because the stakes feel really high the requirement yep. for our level of functioning as adults and children in society today are so high it's we, like we have to be on all the time there's always a camera following us there's always a a highlight reel there. And I think the standards get higher and higher. It's harder to get into preschool. It's harder to get into college. And there's no space for having a rough patch. And I think that that's why people are so quick to accept a prescription for themselves and for their children. And so I want to know when you say that negative feeling or this, you know, quote unquote negative feelings, uncomfortable feelings, because even those uncomfortable feelings are not negative because they provide us with valuable information, critical information. What would you say about these uncomfortable feelings being liberating for us? even when the stakes feel high and it would be easier to turn to a medication
2: to get rid of them. Right. Well, this, which was the second part to your question. So mm-hmm. yes, thank you for bringing that yes, back. Absolutely. I actually have a pretty strong view about this. Let's hear uh, it. I, I, okay. <laughs> going, out on, going out on a limb here. We want right. it. Let's go. <laughs> so, um, we'll go with you. All right. Good. So it <laughs> actually is tied to both depression and to anxiety, because I think very differently about both of those experiences. I talk about something in the book, and actually, it's more briefly mentioned than actually discussed. I call something soulful depression. And I actually happen to think that the probably the greatest majority, I have no way to prove this, but probably the greatest majority of people who say that they're depressed and then get put on meds are actually not depressed from the true clinical sense of the word, But instead, are are what I call soulfully depressed. Mm -hmm. It's soulful depression. So, what does that mean? It means that they've spent a long time cutting off, distracting from those same doggone eight unpleasant feelings that result over time, in a long period of time. I might add, into experiences of what people would describe as feeling depressed, empty, numb, disconnected. And what it is really is soulful depression.
1: I mean, I couldn't agree more with that, Joan. And what I think that nexus for people, what I see, particularly, I mean, I work with all ages, but even for kids, is that they have these feelings that make them uncomfortable. Then that turns into anxiety. They get a worry pattern. Then they get depressed. And it's just both depression and anxiety. For me, for a lot of people, and I say to you, I have no evidence for this, but I actually have a lot of brain maps, so I do have some evidence, but yeah. is that they they just need disconnect from the uncomfortableness. I mean, I say that all the time, and it, right. it is very, very true. And I, I love Cleopatra's notion, and you know, I always say we live busy lives, but really, there's even another level of that, that there's no space in our
0: busy life. I think everybody's feeling like the stakes are so high, even from the moment our children emerge from the womb. I mean even before, right, in the primester, et cetera. I think that you know we're in the, we're in this moment of quarantine where where we're we're all home much more than we're used to being home. Our schedules are less hectic than they're used to being, and a lot of people are reflecting on, wow, we run around like crazy. Most of the time, and there's not a a lot of space for feeling and just being human. And a lot of people are finding themselves deeply uncomfortable with being with themselves and their partners and their children and all of the humanness of of that being. And it's really interesting to watch. But most of the time, there doesn't it doesn't feel like there's the space for that. And there, you know, you talk about how. This all started from the place of being an incredibly shy child being the wallflower being velcroed to the wall, which I thought was really cute, even though I know it doesn't feel cute in the moment and <laughs> at, at all again, yes, <laughs> and also what's amazing for all of our mamas watching is that Dr. Joan is such a beacon i, I she's everywhere speaking sharing her wisdom. She's the person, so many of us, we're in this amazing community of doctors and healthcare providers. And and we're all turning to her all the time for advice and information. And it's so hard to imagine that she was this incredibly shy child who couldn't speak up. But you talk about how this path that you've been on in your life and in your professional world... Uh, started from that experience. And what's interesting is that we were all born in a time when we can remember life without social media. And social media introduces a whole new layer of complication because social media is the reality of our life today. It is the reality of life for young people, for children from a very young age, even when we try really hard to prevent that and protect them from that. And it is a highlight. Social media is essentially a highlight reel of people's lives. And so the discomfort with uncomfortable emotions, I feel like is greater than ever because the the unspoken message is that if you're experiencing uncomfortable emotions your life is not measuring up to what everybody else is experiencing and what we fail to remember is that we're not seeing all of those moments that everybody else is experiencing only our own what advice do you have for mamas who are raising children in this time when there's even more stigma associated with not just mental health challenges, but the full range of human emotion when it includes uncomfortable emotions.
2: Yeah, no, well, that actually takes me back to the second part of your question, because you also, both you and Roseanne have referenced anxiety. I want to build on that, and because I think it'll partly answer this this next question that you've just also asked, and I want to make sure that we spend time talking a little bit about creating that space. Let's do or for meditation or ritual or something like that. Yes. But, but before I get there, let me talk about anxiety because the anxiety piece feeds right into the very thing you're talking about. I have different thoughts about stuff. And one of, the, one of my different thoughts is centered around this idea of anxiety. So in the same way that we're medicating depression, we're medicating anxiety. But my more global view of what anxiety is, is that it's actually a distraction from unpleasant feelings the same eight unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. So it just acts as an umbrella over the eight unpleasant feelings. And the first one that I would say for people to check themselves on, so when they when they use the word anxiety, I would say stop using the word anxiety. It's It's overused and misused. Instead, check yourself and see if you're experiencing one or more of the eight unpleasant feelings I talk about. Now, the first one to check is vulnerability. So what's vulnerability? Uh, Sense I could get hurt. So, oh, okay, I'm going to go out and be on that balance beam. I'm going to be the kid running down to try to catch the the touchdown. I'm going to try to get on the team. I'm going to whatever it is. Then one is being vulnerable. They're putting themselves in a situation where they could get hurt, i.e., what do I mean by that? They might experience one or more of the other seven feelings so that vulnerability is the first one to check. But lots of times, people will say they're anxious, so maybe it's not vulnerability. People will say they're anxious, but the reason they're anxious is because they're not expressing, they're not allowing themselves to feel nor express the real feelings that are going on. So let's say, you know, I just I was had a, had a conversation with a client this morning and she was telling me how she gets really angry with her mom about um, when the mother does not fold her laundry properly and it's wrinkled and mm-hmm. she gets really angry with her mom when she oh, she over watered a plant the individual had already watered she's really upset about it right okay fine the feelings are legit but they didn't get expressed
1: so now, she's, so now she's
2: anxious. <clears throat> right. That, ener- that energy has got to go someplace. So it turns into anxiety. So another way that I look at anxiety, Cleopatra, is to think of it as not just this umbrella over the eight unpleasant feelings, but it's when you're neither experiencing nor expressing an un- particularly an unpleasant feeling. It could be a positive one, too. It could be me looking at you and saying, hey, I love you. I want to spend more time with you. Um, but more often than not, it's it's with the unpleasant ones. Sometimes it's with the, the, the pleasant, but mostly unpleasant.
0: I was just going to say it's so interesting because it matches up so closely with what Dr. Roseanne was saying, which is that she's observed that people will have these uncomfortable feelings and the bodily sensations that you talk about that accompany them. And then they're afraid of having them and they get into worry. And that's when they start experiencing anxiety. So you're both describing in different ways, the same sort of cycle. And I think that that's really interesting because as a professor, I see young people with debilitating anxiety constantly as someone who specializes in fertility and is helping people overcome fertility challenges. They often come with a history of depression and anxiety. And I see how debilitating the anxiety can be. But what's so interesting is that... From what both of you are saying, we're so clearly over-focusing on the anxiety and not getting to the heart of the matter, which is
2: what's happening underneath that's creating this feedback loop. Exactly. 100% accurate. And one of the questions that I will ask the first time I work with somebody, Cleopatra, how well do you experience your unpleasant feelings? And how well do you express your unpleasant feelings? Because that's going to give me an immediate gauge. On where I need to work. And I write those down. An immediate gauge based on where I need to take somebody in terms of whatever problem they're kind of coming in with. Those are two standard questions in, in my intake, if you will. I love it. So then, how does that link up with the social media piece? The social media piece is, and the, and the worry or the fretting about that is, one, it's, it, when you get into comparison, you now checked out of your own experience. Yes. It's so true. Right. So I think the only thing I think comparison is good for is for aspirational purposes.
0: Love it.
2: I want to be like the female star of the soccer team. I think I can do that. Okay. Now it's aspirational. Now I'm going to compare because I have an aspiration to go for, or Mm -hmm. people would talk about, uh, you know, Michael Jordan or Oprah just- Oprah's that for me oh, that
0: this woman could, could do this and I can do it too but not oh my gosh I haven't done what she's done yet right mm-hmm. I think that
2: that's so powerful right so com- the old that's the only thing comparison is good for it's mm-hmm. for aspiration so good So if I'm caught in the comparison when I'm looking at social media then what I'm doing is I'm disowning my own power. I'm dismissing my own thoughts, feelings and needs. And I'm distracting from my own experience of vulnerability. I'm writing this down because I want to go back and share
0: it with my conceiving mamas who are prime with us right now, because they always talk about how difficult it is to be on social media and to see and new pregnancy announcements and new baby announcements. And I'm, I'm trying to process how to
2: make this usable for them. Right. So so in their experience. How, right. So mm-hmm. here's how it would be usable. One, it's if they're looking at it and comparing, mm-hmm. now that's the distraction or disowning of their own experience. So mm-hmm. and what's their own experience? Sadness. I'm not I'm not there yet. So then mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're using the focus on that to actually distract from the truth of where they are. And the truth of where they are is that they might be sad, angry, disappointed, feeling helpless, feeling frustrated, and same eight feelings, mm-hmm. feeling embarrassed, but they don't they don't have a child yet. And so the thing is, it's like, no, let's just look at it. That's not what but but when the moment you start to compare, now you're distracting from your own experience.
0: And then dismissing their own thoughts, thoughts feelings, feelings and needs,
2: and needs as mm-hmm. a result of that.
0: I mean, that's really powerful because people, it's so easy to get into
1: comparison mode, as you said. And then, you know, you dismiss your own power if you're mm-hmm. a negative looping, you know, mm-hmm. really very much so. And mm-hmm. and how easy is that to have today? As you said, Cleopatra, a mom, you know, sees somebody having baby after baby and she wants that for herself. I mean, that's, that is sadness. And that's, that is hard, you know, hard. but you so can't hard. live there. You have to experience it and then not be stuck. That's what I think I see, you know, as we kind of, in the beginning, we talked about kids getting stuck in certain feelings and how to help them process it, is to actually acknowledge it, how it feels, put words to it, so critical, so important. And I think, in, as Cleopatra and you both said, this fast moving society, we really are moving away from that when we should instead really be reinforcing it more because there's so many opportunities to
0: disconnect. I just wanted to make sure, because I know we're, we're getting close to wrapping up, but as you were saying that, it reminded me that Dr. Joan said, let's make sure we talk about how to create that space. So can we get that piece of wisdom from you, Dr. Joan, before we wrap up for today? I,
2: my, my thing is that I think of it from the standpoint of a parent creating a ritual for a child. And when a child is very young, right, so that they're in infancy or they're in early toddlerhood, they're going to take a nap at a certain time, right? Yes. There are certain things that you have set up in the ideal. You have it set up in kind of more, a little bit more of a scheduled opportunity, uh, no matter what it is, bath time is this time, the feeding is this time, whatever it might be, that a parent think about creating a ritual with with and for a child Mm -hmm. to build in those timeouts. That it's like you know what this is pause time. You're not doing homework now. You're mm-hmm. not watching TV now. You and I might spend that time together. It could be an opportunity to create, and it could be you know let's do it. Let's do it. What most people talk about in terms of meditation, a 20 minute meditation. So mm-hmm. all it needs to be is a tw- at least a minimum of a 20 minute period each day, or most I days.
1: Important, Joan, because it's the ritual. And we wanna think it's like, yeah, you do it for an hour and it works, but it doesn't work like that. And it's good for you and it's good for them, and it's a wonderful way to connect and preserve communication and calm the nervous system all at the same time.
2: So I would say if you if a if a parent can help a child, and it might work for the parent too, of course, the child over twenty as well as the child. <laughs> <laughs> so That's right. The, that the the idea here then is that you build in a 20 minute period for on more days than not mm-hmm. throughout the week where the child that's just reflect time it's just being in being in a space where they can take account of what the day turned out like what the week turned out to be what however but they stay present to what they think what they feel and what they need that can be done alone which is would I would say some of those times should be a, better for them to do it alone. And some of those periods spent with a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, so that as Roseanne was just talking about, it becomes kind of a co-regulation time mm-hmm. and where, and, and a bonding time. There is absolutely nothing. There's not even reading a books that's occurring. Mm-hmm. It could be a hug fest, right? I'm and that's like- all it is. It's a 20 minute hug fest. Or the child is simply resting, you're both laying down, and the child has their ear on your heart, and that's all they're doing is they're just being next to you and there's just it's quiet and there's no not even conversation. It's what a friend of mine calls silent communion. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. so so I wanna be clear that I think it's really important to build in and I would call it a ritual mm-hmm. of at least that twenty minute kind of space. So.
1: I love even just having a hug fest. I mean, calling Me it that and creating that space. We kind of do, we, just, we, we don't call it a hug fest, but I'm going to call it that. But we do that every night in my house with my youngest, does it because the 15 year old's not going to want to do it. But we do, <laughs> do PEMF and I have it set up on a bed. We get in there and we often just hug and sometimes we tell jokes. And we just—I love it, Doctor bow And so, if we don't do PMF, we do—we have our own disco ball and we <laughs> disco dance. So we do something like that. It's just fun and fun.
0: just lovely. And what a great way to end your night! So yeah. good. I love for both of you, for all of you, so for everybody, yeah. yeah. Doctor Joan. This has been so amazing. We absolutely want you to come back. I know our mamas. Are loving this and want more of Dr. Joan. Dr. Joan, where can they, in addition to getting your awesome book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity? So good. Where, where else
2: connect with you? Can they learn more from you? Um, if they go to drjoanrosenberg.com. A, it has a, a number of different resources there. If people want to stay really close in touch with me, they can get on my mailing list, and there's a, a number of free downloads that they can get. Actually, my Ease Your Anxiety book right now is a PDF. I'm offering it as a PDF download for free. But and
1: we'll so, have all the links in the yeah. show
2: notes too for people. Perfect,
0: you know? exactly. We'll we'll spell out Dr. Joan Rosenberg's name for you, mamas, so that you can go there and get the anxiety download. Not to have anxiety, but to work through the anxiety. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so <laughs>
1: it's <was> an anxiety,
2: Cleopatra. <laughs> That's the absolute easiest. And then there's a contact sheet there. So if people want to reach out to me directly, then.
1: Thank you for your wisdom and sharing your insight. And, you know, I think when kids struggle with emotions and regulation, people don't know where to go. And you gave people some really actionable things. It's the ritual. It's the daily practice of these things that really create lasting change. Mm
2: -hmm. Right, right. Absolutely. And the, the the truth is, as you well know, both of you know, that that communication both the experience of being able to regulate your feelings
1: mm-hmm. and
2: being able to communicate your feelings are both skills to develop yes so it's not 100%. It, none, of us, none of us is at a loss it just takes practice like everything else and but there. are you can learn it and then you can be really effective at doing it.
0: I think that was such an important note. Thank you for making that note as we're finishing up here that even if you haven't thought of yourself as good at this in the past, this is a muscle that you can build and begin to model more uh, masterfully for your children over time. So Dr. Joan, Thank you so much. It has been a gift and an honor and pleasure to have you here with us and our mamas. And I love you both so much. So grateful to call you my sisters, Dr. Roseanne and Dr. Joan. Thank you, mamas, for being here with us today for this episode of Parents Coffee Talk. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, mamas. Thank you so much. Hi there, precious mama. This is Dr. Cleopatra the fertility strategist and the executive director of the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute I cannot wait for you to come over and visit us at fertilitypregnancy.org and I want you to make sure that you stop in and you download the free Ultimate Fertility Checklist you will learn so much about your fertility that no one has ever told you before including about the primester and epigenetics during the primester Don't waste another moment without coming to see us at fertilitypregnancy.org. Every single day matters when it comes to preserving, extending, and igniting our fertility and ensuring that we get to have as many super babies as our heart desires when it's the right time in our lives. I'll see you there sending you so much love and warmest wishes and I'm sprinkling all the baby dust in your direction for whenever you want it.